Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. We are at episode 132. I hope you're doing well this morning. I'm sipping on my coffee as usual, and today I'm going to keep keep going through the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 6 today, really in a chapter that's been influential in my life. For many of you, John chapter 6 has been a special book of the Bible. It's just a powerful, powerful chapter, uh, book of the Bible, chapter of the Bible. It's been very helpful, and we're just going to walk through today and get some pastoral lessons like we've been doing. And for those that are not pastors that are listening in, this can give you some snapshots of what pastoral ministry looks like or should look like. And if this isn't exemplified in your church, then maybe challenge the pastors of your church and say, hey, listen, this, you know, consider this. Maybe listen to this episode, listen to this podcast. Maybe this would be helpful for some of the pastors that are in your life, wherever you are a member at church. And uh, I, I want you to get snapshots of pastoral ministry from Jesus. And if you're new with us, what we're doing is kind of busting up the notion that there is somehow a disconnect between 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, the qualifications for an elder, and then the life of Christ. And what I'm trying to show time and time again, week in and week out, as we go through the Gospel of John, is that Jesus is not only wisdom personified, but Jesus is 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, pastoral ministry personified. So when we look to shepherd the people of God, we want to look at the good shepherd and see how he works with his people, shepherds his people, loves his people, defends his people. And then we want to, by the grace of God, walk in that, follow in that. Let's go ahead and pray, ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll uh, talk about the intensive a little bit. We'll uh, also make a, a quick appeal again about some support, and then we'll get into the content of John 6. Let's pray. Lord, we need wisdom. We need direction. As always, we thank you for your grace that's upon us right now in this moment. Two weeks ago, I walked away from the sermon thinking, God, I'm just depending upon you. It's I, Every week we preach, those who preach, preach imperfectly, and we're trusting you, Holy Spirit, to work perfectly in the lives of our people. And there's some guys listening in right now that are just trusting you about their sermon yesterday, and they're thinking, God, just just work. And, and God, we need that every single week. Just just work in the lives of our people. As we come into this Monday morning, we got to work ahead of us. we got a week ahead of us. God, help us to honor you in it, to work hard for your glory because of what you've done for us. Lead this time, God, I trust that you're going to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I've been thankful about the response. Last week, I made an appeal and just let you know <clears throat> that we do have a small need as a ministry. We are, a cure, a, a, we are uh, going to be having about a $50 a month cost for the ministry that's going to be ramping up as we do some stuff and work on the website. And so we would love if you would support us in any way that we can, uh, any way that you can, that would be helpful. And if you want to write a check, you can send a check in to 325 Ashwood Lane, Carbondale, Illinois. If you want to support on PayPal, just go to the website. You can support on PayPal. That would be greatly appreciated. Also, another shout out to the intensive. Would love for you to come and be a part of the intensive. Also, if you listen and you've got a product, you know, if you've been listening to the Shepherd's Crook for a while, you know that I did a, a few years of sponsorships and had some really great sponsorships and worked with companies like Buck Knives and, and Canon Press and Banner of Truth and some really great giveaways along the way. I've thought about back and forth starting that back up. If you would like to 
partner with me, reach out to me, and we can do some sort of sponsorship in exchange for whatever you have, whatever good you have, whatever product that you make. And I would love to give you a shout out on the website and we can work that out. So just reach out to me if you'd like to do that. And then come to the intensive. You've been hearing me talk about the intensive. So I would love for you to come to that. Uh, you can check that out in the show notes. Okay, John chapter six. I love this chapter. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And we get some really staggering comments in this. And it really, well, I mean, it starts with 5,000 people, just men. And then so probably with women and children, you got a massive crowd that's following Jesus. Even Jesus goes to the other side of the sea and the, the crowd looks after he disappears from their midst and they wonder, where do they go? We know his disciples left, but Jesus stayed behind. They go after him, seeking Jesus is the word that's used. And then by the end of the chapter, there's 12 it goes from thousands upon thousands, a massive crowd, down to 12. And I want to take you through that journey because in John chapter 6, near the end of the book, Jesus says that his words, the words that I've spoken to you, are spirit and life. But the crowd didn't see it that way. Because as soon as Jesus started speaking these words of spirit and life, the people began to leave in droves, like thousands upon thousands upon thousands. So we all want... Everyone wants, even whole ministry models are built on this idea of the crowds. It starts in verse 2. It says, a very large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And this is the apologetic for attractional model ministry is the, the miracles of Jesus, where Jesus would do miracles, would attract people in, would draw people in, would even compel them in. And then they would say, look, these, these crowds are now here. They've got the attention. Jesus has got the attention. The 12 have the attention of the people. And then we're going to bring these 12 or bring these crowds into discipleship. That's the whole attractional model or seeker sensitive model is built on the miracles of Jesus, the parables of Jesus. And we see that there's a huge crowd that's drawn. And then Jesus shows this compassion, which is phenomenal. We should always have compassion on the crowds. And, and we should walk in that and follow that because Jesus had compassion. Jesus knew, knowing what he was going to do, said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so these people may eat? He said this to test him for he knew exactly what he was going to do. He already knew the resources that he was going to use, the miracle that he was going to use. And so he does this miracle. You know, Philip's like, I don't know, we don't have very much food. And the 12 are a little bit confused. Well, Jesus, you know, has the plan, sets it in place. There was a boy with five barley loaves and two fish, and he multiplies the barley loaves and the two fish to feed the 5,000. And then they have food left afterwards. Just a remarkable story. You guys know the story. But when the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who's coming to the world. Now Jesus, perceiving that he was about, they were coming about to physically make him king, it was not yet time for him to take his throne. And so he withdrew from the mountain by himself. Now, he walked on water because the disciples had left and walked across the sea. They were going to Capernaum. And so the disciples left. Jesus stayed. The strong, the strong winds pulled them away. And the next morning, Jesus left. The crowd walked to the disciples, and then now they were headed to the other side of the sea. Now, here's where the story picks up, and some of the things that I want you to see are found here. The next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea. They saw that there had only been one boat, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. Now, after that, the, uh, the, other, boats came, the other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum, Seeking Jesus. That's the words that are used. You can see that right in verse 24. Seeking Jesus. This was a crowd of people 
that was interested in Christ and they were seeking Jesus, they'll, they'll cross land and sea to find him. They were crossing the sea. They, they were like, man, we got to go and be with Jesus. This is a win by every measurable standard by today's you know, models of ministry. You have a group of people that's so compelled that they will dis-inconvenience themselves. They'll inconvenience themselves to go seek Jesus. And they'll cross the sea, get in boats, pick up whatever they have with them, and go to find him. This seems to be a huge win. You would think Jesus, upon seeing the crowds come to him, would be astonished. He would say, oh my goodness, look, you have traveled to see me. You have come to seek and to find me. Why don't you come now and follow me? But that's not how the story unfolds. <laughs> it just isn't. Because Jesus knows what's going on inside of them. So they get to the other side. When they found Jesus, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, Wow, I'm astonished. You finally found me. Nope. Because you are not seeking me, uses the same words that's in verse 24, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, this starts a dialogue, a conversation back and forth between Jesus and the crowd. We don't know the individuals that were asking these questions, but they were representative people within the crowd. Because the crowd did end up moving like a big flock of, of, of birds, they, they all followed together. The, those who were speaking to Jesus, this conversation is representative of the crowd because the crowd would end up leaving Jesus and following those who were questioning him. So the conversation started and it went back and forth. And then Jesus started saying, to them, saying, saying, things, saying things to them that brought confusion and frustration, that he is the bread that came down from heaven, the true manna. It wasn't Moses, but my father in heaven. And I am the one. You had bread in the wilderness. Your fathers had bread in the wilderness that was provided by God. But I am the true bread. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever comes to me shall never thirst. This gets everybody in the crowd scratching their head. He even says to them, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. By the way, I love that. I might do a podcast on that one verse one day. Uh, all the Father has given me will come to me. There's unconditional election. There's irresistible grace. There's you know a lot of the five points of Calvinism right in that verse. And then, whoever comes to me, I will in no way or I will never cast out. It's beautiful. This is the whosoever will. You come. This is yes and yes. In this verse, you find concepts that people take, when they do theology by philosophy rather than theology by the Bible, they, they pit these ideas together and they think, how in the world can these things go together? But here in this verse, you see these two things go together. Things that That's why biblical theology is so much better than any sort of philosophical model of, of theology where you're trying to piece together these, these, um, um, these, these models of thought in a way that's cohesive. And you get to this point where it's like, how, how do I put these two, two things together? I can't. But this is what God has done. That's why his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our, our thoughts. That's just, that's kind of a freebie. Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. And then the story goes on. Jesus says, nothing that uh, the Father has given me, I, I will lose, but I will, I will not lose anything the Father has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Um, For everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. This is the will of the Father. And then the grumbling starts, verse 41. If you've got your Bibles, look at it. So the Jews grumbled at him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. The story ramps up. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Later on, we find that this was the point of contention. This very verse, this very, this very word, they don't like. What do you mean? 
that the Father has to grant us something for us to come to you. And then he starts talking about his body and blood. It starts to bother them more and more, and Jesus kind of get, gets the, kind of puts the proverbial knife in and begins to twist. And he says, I'm the living bread. In verse 52, they're grumbling about that, about eating the flesh, and they're disputing amongst themselves, how can this man give, give us his flesh to eat? And then in verse 53, it's like the gauntlet comes down, and Jesus says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, unless you eat of the flesh, the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life. Now he's teaching these things in the synagogue. And when many of the disciples heard him say this, teach this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen? In verse 61, Jesus says, knowing that he himself the were, were his true disciples, that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense of this? Now you got to get this. The word his disciples is used in 60, and Jesus knowing his disciples is used in 61. And then Jesus says that it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh has no avail. This ends up enraging him. And he says that this is why I said to you that no one can come to me unless the Father, unless it's granted to him by the Father in verse 65. And then in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked after him. Now, this is moved from the crowd to many of his disciples. The 5,000 that were there seeking bread, that were not there because the signs were pointing to his Messiahship. They were there because they wanted to eat their fill more and more and more. Now, it's revealed that they have left the 5,000. Now, talk about an ego hit. You're preaching and the crowds are there thousands upon thousands, droves upon droves of people. You're in this echo tunnel. Everybody can hear you. You're thinking, man, the move of God is here. And then Jesus is okay watching thousands upon thousands upon thousands walk away because of what he is saying. And he's not saying, no, wait, no, wait, please, you're misunderstanding me. Jesus is spitting truth and they're not liking it. So they're walking away by the thousands. And then it's his very disciples. John uses the words his disciples. Jesus uses the words his disciples, saying that his disciples are walking away. And then after these hard sayings, and after he says, no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. In verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Pastors, if you're in this thing, just to beg and plead with people to stick around as you preach the truth, you're in this for the wrong reasons. We have to be okay. Certainly, it should break our hearts that people are walking away from the truth and not just walking away from you, but walking away from Christ himself. Over the years, you're going to see this. You're going to see people not like what's being preached, not like what's being said, and it's not that they don't like you. And hopefully that's not the case, that they just don't like you. It's the very words that you're preaching as you're preaching through the Bible. Even words like John chapter 6. You're preaching through and saying, no one can come to the Father unless it's granted him. No one can come to the Son unless it's granted him by the Father. And people are like, wait a minute, what are the implications of that? I don't think I like that. And then like these disciples, they're just going to walk away, walk away to another teacher that will itch their ears, that will just tell them what they want to hear. And they will like, like in, in 2 Timothy, like in, in Ephesus or like wherever, they're just going to grab teachers and say, okay, you're going to let me sit in my passions instead of repenting and following the Lord, they're going to walk away. We, we at some point have to be okay with that. Okay with the fact that the truth is more important than people sticking around. Now, others are going to be compelled. You see this in, in the 12. And Jesus turns to the 12, the, the inner inner circle, and he says, 
do you want to go away as well? I mean, you guys know this. And here's what Peter answers. I love this. As he's watched, as he watched, watched just everybody walk away, and the 12 are thinking like, man, this is not going well. And Simon Peter turns to Jesus. He's like, uh, you have the words of eternal life. He agrees with Jesus. These words are of spirit and life. You have the words of eternal life. So where are we going to go? We've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus, I mean, just devastating words to the ego. He says, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the Simon Iscariot, the one of the twelve who was going to betray him. Um, Jesus wanted to obey his heavenly Father. And whether the masses or the crowd knew it or not, Jesus was loving them that day. Whether or not those disciples, those disciples who walked away from him, whether they realized it or not, Jesus was being not just intentionally provocative to send them away, but he was doing something because he loved them. The truth is that important. And later on, maybe some of these people, maybe as they're teaching in the synagogue, this is where Jesus was doing this in uh, Capernaum, in verse 59 we see that, maybe some of these uh, people were converted after Pentecost and after the dispersion after in, in Acts chapter 7. Maybe as the gospel went forth, these people remembered, you know what, Jesus really is. I was wrong that day. I shouldn't have walked away. Jesus was right. He is who he says he is. He was who he says he was. Jesus is the living Christ. He is the Messiah. And I need to follow after him. I need to bend my life to him. Jesus was uncompromising in the face of masses of people walking away from him. That's the kind of man Jesus was. The God man, Jesus Christ. The truth matters that much. And friends, this is we, we've got to live and die by the truth. And it doesn't matter if the crowds walk away. If it's an out-of-season ministry where everybody's walking away and nobody can even pay your salary anymore because you're looking out and there's like like 15 people there. By, by God's grace, preach the truth. You got to ask those questions. Do the hard work of wondering, you know, am, am, I, am I in sin here? Have I driven these people away because of my, my personality, the way I am, or because I'm actually not preaching the truth? But if you're preaching the truth and loving the people of God, there's going to be seasons of ministry that are out of season. And it's going to look just like this where everybody's turning and, and there's just a handful of people. They're looking and saying, you know what? We know that the words of Christ are true. We're going to keep following you. We're going to keep because we know that we're walking towards Christ. Friends, this is an astounding passage. It's an astounding chapter. Get in it, dive in it, and see the treasures that are there. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in, subscribe, share, and uh, spread the word. Help me spread the word. Uh, I really appreciate you guys continuing to come back. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.